Good morning and God bless and welcome to another episode of the New Nation podcast featuring me, Mike, your host. It's a beautiful Wednesday. I don't know what day you're going to listen to this on. If it's a Thursday, a Friday, even next Monday, welcome. Thank you for being here. And today's episode is going to be a little special because I want to talk to y'all about what my film is about. I've spoken about this numerous times. If those of you have paid attention or not, know that I've written a screenplay. And as of last week, maybe two weeks ago, it is out to a writer and director. And I haven't really talked about what it's about. And so I figured I'd get into that. And before I do, there are a couple places you can follow me on Instagram. You can follow the the at the new dot nation. And on Instagram, it's no, did I say that right? On Instagram, it's at the new dot nation. And on Twitter or X, it's at Mike of the nation. So let's get right into it. I don't even, I'm trying to pinpoint when I started writing this film. And I think it was probably around, um, I don't even know. I don't even know if I could bring it up on where I wrote it and where I still house it and see like, you know, the number of drafts that, um, that you've done. But I, I want to say conservatively that I started writing this in 2021. And that would make sense because I think it was around the first birthday of my daughter that I started to do this. Uh, rename script, no request approval. Oh, history. Let's see. Okay. Uh, da, 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 oh, load more. Okay, let's see. This could probably go back to the beginning of when I wrote this script and I'm going back now to February. I'm going back to July of 2022. I'm going back to June, May, February of 2022 and it's still loading history. Hold on. Okay, January. Okay, so this is okay, so this is 3 years ago. I would have Oh no, 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 not 3 years ago. Not yet. Not just yet. Let's see. I'm loading up history, loading up history. We're going back to December of 21. Uh, Now we're back to November of 21. Wow, I didn't think it was this long. October of 2021? I'm going to say around my daughter's birthday I start writing this. Her birthday is September 5th. So let's see if it goes past. Yeah, July 2021. Whoa. This is... This is no pun intended, but this is a history lesson of my history, of the screenplay's history. I'm still going back to May. 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 We're in May still. This is probably the most boring podcast you've ever listened to. I promise it won't be a minute of this. If it if it it's still in May and there are a lot of historical um tidbits that are happening in May, even in April. I don't think it's older than twenty twenty one. March of twenty twenty one. March of twenty twenty one. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. I guess the first time I opened the script was on 3-5-2021. So almost three years ago. Whoa, that is insane. And I started writing it at 9 o'clock at night and was writing up until maybe 10. Okay, so make note of that. Uh, Whatever, what did I just say it was? It was was March 9th, March 5th, March 5th, 2021. Okay, so that would have made my daughter like six months. Okay, so the, I guess the impetus for the idea for the screenplay 
is my daughter. And I wanted to start it out as a thought experiment because at this point, uh, the first the, the first six months with her was rough because, you know, I'm a new father. I've never dealt with any of this stuff before. I've never dealt with the endless crying, the uh, sleep deprivation, the, the regression of sleep, uh, the new eating habits, the diet, the changing of the diapers once they're like six months old. So it was something that was, you know, really weighing on me in a new and different way. And I've often told this to new parents who, you know, ask, what is it like? And I, I, I tell them it's nothing like you've ever experienced before. Anything that I tell you is not going to prepare you. Uh, I, I can only offer you, you know, a little bit of an optimistic future. Uh, that's it, some kind and encouraging words. But you are never going to feel the most frustrated or the most angry or like you've wanted to give up ever until you have a child. But it all gets kind of repaid with one little smile. You know what I mean? Especially when they start talking to you. Like my daughter's uh, almost three and a half now. And the way that she says daddy at the end of questions, she'll say, what's wrong, daddy? (laughs) It just breaks your heart. And, you know, the tantrum that she threw, two or three of them earlier in the day, they kind of disappear when that little voice comes out. What's wrong, daddy? Are you okay, daddy? Love you, daddy. It, 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 it totally, totally eliminates all that other stuff. And then it starts back up again the next day. And then you just go through that roller coaster ride, but it is the most rewarding. It helps you grow. It helps you mature. And, you know, not a lot of people can take it. There are a lot of bad parents out there. And, you know, that, that, that goes deep. There are wounds there that I understand, but um, I'm not saying that if you've had a bad childhood, you're going to be a bad parent. I would, I would hope the opposite is true. And, you know, there are plenty of cases where the opposite is true, where children of bad parents and bad upbringings have decided that when they have kids, they're not going to go anywhere near that. They're not going to replicate any of that behavior that they saw. So they actually turn out to be the best parents. But yes, so March 5th, 2021, nearly three years ago, I started writing uh, this screenplay. And uh, I don't want to tell you the title of it. Uh, I may have said that on another podcast. But it started out as a thought experiment where I said, if I lost my child, how would I act? How would I think I would act? Would I be able to operate in the world? Would I be able to smile? Would I be able to see my friends, see my family, Uh, especially at a young age? So it wasn't like losing like a 20-year-old, 30-year-old child. It was, you know, losing your infant, you know, losing your toddler or something like that. Um, And I think as the script progressed, as I was writing it, uh, the age of the child's character in the movie got older, uh, like my daughter did. And I remember the first time my wife read the completed first draft, she said, whoa, that's why do you want to be thinking about that kind of thing? So I'll give you an overall premise of kind of like how it started. And to, I'll, I'll give you the script uh, plot as it is right now, and then I'll go back into how it started and how things have changed or developed. So the movie is about uh, a guy who's in his late 30s who's a former Special Forces operator in the Green Berets, and uh, he's been retired for a couple of years. He works in private security or he has some sort of ambiguous job in private security or in defense or something like that. Um, and the movie starts two months after his wife and daughter were killed in a car accident. And 
the 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 movie is about a week in this man's life. So two months ago, he buried his wife and his daughter, and he actually saves a lot of people in an active shooter situation in a church. And I modeled this after a, sh- a shooting that happened in Texas. I don't remember where exactly, but the shooting is where a guy entered a church was being disruptive, took a shotgun out, shot one of the ushers, and then an NRA instructor basically took this guy out with a headshot from about 20 or 30 yards away. So one shot ended it. So I took that, and the guy saves his congregation, his priest, uh, during that active duty shooting and is lauded. He's called a hero, but he doesn't want any of that Um, admiration. He doesn't want to be called a hero. He feels responsible for the death of his wife and daughter because the night before his wife and daughter got into that accident, he had a bit of a uh, uh, an angry outburst. It wasn't a violent outburst. It was just an an outburst uh, where he scolded his daughter. Um, And the next day, his wife, who noticed that he had been overworked recently, offered to kind of give him a day at home, a morning home uh, by himself to just kind of relax. And while they're out, they obviously get killed in an accident, in a driving accident. And uh, he feels responsibility. So he carries that guilt around with him and he's been carrying that guilt around with him for the past two months. And the detective who is assigned to the shooting at the church knows him for whatever reason, I don't want to give away how he knows him, but they know each other. She is an older woman, uh, probably like in her mid-50s, maybe, who lost her own husband in a tragic scenario 20 years earlier. And the detective questions a lot of reality. She questions if things are coincidental, if things just randomly happen, or if God has designed the world in such a way where people are destined to meet each other, where things are meant to happen. And the main character, uh, he communicates with his wife a lot. And not in a witchcrafty type of way, but in the form of, could they be hallucinations? Uh, could they be actual visions? And um, there's, 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 a bit of, um, there's a bit of flashback in the film. And uh, throughout this, the... The main character not only questions himself as a man, but he questions his faith. Before the accident, he was somewhat of a strict Catholic. Uh, his wife was not. His wife was the son of a pastor, and um, he had tried to get her to church, but just because of their situation of him being constantly away on active duty and him even being back before they had kids, uh, it was a little bit tough to get them, uh, or at least get his wife to convert or and join the Catholic faith. So um, there's a bit of spiritual warfare going on as well. And I wrote that into the movie. And uh, that that's basically it. So the the tagline or let's say the you know the uh, the uh, what do they call it? The I guess the tagline is uh, what is the tagline? Hold on. Let me go to my cuz I can't remember. Let me go to my blacklist um, page for it you guys know what the blacklist is the blacklist is a website where people are able to upload their screenplays and you can get it um hold on one second dashboard you can get your screenplay evaluated 
and um, the people who evaluate screenplays actually work in the industry, they had to have spent at least a minimum of one year on the desk of an agent, of a producer, of a writer, whoever, and then um, you know they become agents or producers themselves. And you basically pay to have your script evaluated, and they give you notes. They give you. It, it's awesome because uh, so, so so an evaluation is graded on six different points: overall premise, plot, character, dialogue, and setting. And when you get those back, it's scored from one to ten. So it, it, the the evaluator is pretty cool because uh, he writes the era which mine is present, the genre, drama, faith-based drama. And now different evaluators haven't called mine faith-based, although they have. Like some have said, so one says drama, faith-based drama. The other one says drama, faith-based drama, crime drama, family drama, the log line. And now I think they each write their own log lines. So let me give you a couple. Uh, this is one of, um, this was, I think, the last evaluation they did back in November. An Army veteran struggling with the loss of his wife and daughter stops a gunman from an attempted mass shooting at his church drawing unwanted attention and praise while bringing his guilt over his wife and daughter to the surface another log line uh says this now this guy oh he graded my dialogue a little bit worse but he liked the premise as he continues to navigate the death of his wife and child a grieving man becomes a town hero and he makes a unique connection with the wise detective in town Nah, don't really like that all that much Let's see what this logline says. While grieving the loss of his wife and child, an army veteran is suddenly plunged into the spotlight when he saves a priest from a gunman and crosses paths with a detective who has a past of grief herself. I like that one. Let's see Let's see another one. I've only done uh, five evaluations. Logline, this is shorter. A man deals with the trials and tribulations of the grieving, grieving process. Yes. And honestly, that logline, even though it's the shortest one, it doesn't give you too much of the plot. That's generally what I set out to do. How would I grieve? If this situation happened to me, how would I grieve? And I mean, we don't know. I would like to think that this is the way that I would grieve. You know, people grieve differently. So I, I sort of set this one out. This was probably the best uh, evaluation that I had um, out of all of them as far as points. But uh, this logline, sh- logline is short too. A haunted widower becomes an unexpected hero when he foils a mass shooting. Let's Let's read what his strengths are. And I think, I mean, this was the first... This was the first, I don't know, this was, yeah, this was the first evaluation that I had back in uh, July of last year. So, uh, you know, the drafts have changed. So, I mean, we can read just to see what this says. Let's read what it says. Okay. You want the prospects or the strengths? It's a heartfelt and heartbreaking script with an enormous depth of human empathy and wisdom on top of it. The premise is deceptively simple, but the people involved. What? I got to cut your blueberry muffin? Yeah. Okay. Isn't that cute? That's cute. I'm talking about, you know, the way she sounds, and then she comes in and uh, does the daddy thing, which is, which is I can't get enough of. Okay, uh, where was I? The hero himself is hard to put a finger on at first, but the more we get to know him, the more we sympathize with him and the terrible tragedy he's been burdened with. The detective is a dynamic and compelling character who eventually reveals some interesting vulnerability of her own. The thread connecting these two survivors could seem contrived, but the script sells us on it. And the bond is powerful. The script has a strong supporting cast. Uh, Blanca, a flawed... I don't want to give names away, character names. A flawed man who tries to live past his mistake especially stands out in a small role. The script has a strong spiritual core and the combination of different elements, including Alan Watts and traditional Catholicism, make for something distinctive and engaging. That's nice. I'm patting myself on the back. There are weaknesses. 
I'll give you the weakness of my latest draft. Um, While the philosophy and faith surrounding death, purpose, and meaning is integral to the script's core, far too many conversations later in the script become bogged down in overly heady dialogue that takes away from the character's emotional journey. This is something that I went back and fixed because I actually agreed with this. And a lot of your favorite dramatic movies, there are either uh, long monologues where the camera pushes in while they're giving the monologue. The, the, the last one that I can think of is in The Bear, where the main character is at the AA meeting or the NA meeting, and it's that slow push in, and he's given like the seven-minute monologue. It pulls you in. It gets all of your emotions, right? You believe it, everything. But then there are other movies where the character is quiet, where the character doesn't say much. And one that I've talked about before is Manchester by the Sea. And there are a bunch of different situations where Casey Affleck doesn't really say much, but you kind of get everything. There's the one scene, probably the most famous scene, the one that everybody talks about is where Casey Affleck says something that's not in the script, where he is being questioned by the fire marshal and a couple of firefighters about how the fire broke out in his house, spoiler alert, uh, killed his family. And they let him go because it was just an accident. You know, there was nothing malicious about it. There was no ill intent. He just... It was just an accident. So when he's told he's free to go, he doesn't. He doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe that he's that he's able to leave freely. I guess he believes that he should be punished in some way. Um, so he gets up and you know he reluctantly leaves the office and he sees a cop pass by because he's in. I guess he's in a police station. He sees a cop pass by and he takes a police officer's gun from him and he pulls the trigger, tries to kill himself, but it doesn't go off. He pulled a Glock. <laughs> he pulled a Glock, and it looks like he, he after he sh- tries to shoot himself and it doesn't go off, it looks like he's trying to work a safety, but there is no safety on a Glock. So what they, what someone like me would be saying, okay, he didn't have a round in the chamber. He's in the office. He doesn't necessarily need a round in the chamber. So he's trying, you know, they want you to think that, like a safety's on. But anyway, after that first shot, uh, a bunch of people, a bunch of cops, his family, they all try to hold him down. And the one line he says that's not in the script, which is so powerful, is just the word please. So he's pleading with these people, please, I need to pay for what I did. I can't be here anymore. I am not worthy of being a man. Please. And he's asking please to let them to, to let them kill himself, basically. Um, and that was probably the most powerful moment in that film. And when you watch it and when you read that, you know, that wasn't even scripted. You know, you're lucky to have someone like Casey Affleck on a set who's a great actor. And the film draws heavily from another Casey Affleck movie called A Ghost Story that I watched. And there's some elements that I was inspired um, to write my screenplay for. But this is a very quiet movie. It's a very slow moving movie or slow moving movie. And um, Casey Affleck just plays a ghost who dies and he haunts his girlfriend because he wants to see what a note says that his girlfriend or his wife actually puts into a crack in the wall. He wants to read what it says because she leaves the house, but she puts a note there. Uh, Let's see what happens. Uh, One or two scenes with a character synthesizing what's happened in their life with a greater meaning can often hit home in a film. There you go. But with so many of these scenes happening in the second act, it's difficult to stay focused on so-and-so's emotional journey when so often the script prioritizes an intellectual journey. Though the flashbacks are certainly important to the story, too much reliance on them causes the story propulsion to sag and takes away emphasis from story beats in the present. Now, I I wrote flashbacks in this movie that make you think that they're happening in the present. So 
let's just say someone kneels down to pick something up, there is a cut, but it doesn't look like a cut. But then the person is flashed back to an instance in the past. So it's kind of like a seamless cut back to the past. And there's one scene where you're like, is this happening in the present? Okay, no, they're meeting each other for the first time. Okay, it's happening in the past. Uh, and I like those just because they're seamless and it gives you a little bit more um, depth to the characters. It makes you understand where they came from. I don't rely on them too heavily, but you know, he, he did make a good point. Um, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to give too much into this weakness because it goes into the plot. But a lot of the prospects are just saying that, like this one says, it's an intimate character piece and reflection on loss, identity, and faith. So and so is a compelling character whose stoicism and concealed trauma offer a lot to an actor looking to dig deep. The film is low budget and contained in both location and ensemble cast, making it quite achievable on an independent budget. Being as it is faith based, not really though. It's not, it's, I wouldn't call it a faith-based movie. I mean, the way I've described it to people was if A24 was making a faith-based movie, this film would do well at a production company specifically geared towards faith-based content and would likely be able to get financing with the right actor attached in the role of so-and-so or so-and-so. And that's what they do. So every evaluation of a screenplay gives you the logline, strengths, weaknesses, and prospects. And all the prospects are the same. Um... You know, it's something like this is a this is a script that leads nicely to a faith based drama, and it's small enough where you can get, you know, one good lead that could secure financing for you. It, because it's cool because these people who write these evaluations are actually in the industry, have been working in the industry for a while, so they're able to give you some insight, basically how to pitch your screenplay or how to pitch your story. And since I'm in the role of not only writing it but trying to produce it as well, uh, it gives you uh, a lot of good information and feedback and. Yeah, the script is out to an actor and director, and um, you know, hopefully, uh, you have a lawyer. I have a lawyer who sent it out, so hopefully, we hear something back soon. And you know, if it goes or if it doesn't go with this actor, we move on to the next one. We find a next one. And um, with this, with this specific, my first choice, I want him to direct as well, because I think if it came down to it, if he wasn't able to do it, then I would probably step in to direct it, or I would get someone a lot more competent than I as a producer that's what you do you you seek out who you want to direct your film so and you know obviously budget if i'm able to you're basically able to secure financing if you have an actor attached and depending on who the name is you know you can get a bigger budget but let's talk about you know the sort of evolution of the screenplay because when i first started out back in march of 2021 nearly three years ago the story was different the current the current draft and the current screenplay, the lead is a man, and the original one, the lead was a woman. Same kind of background, though. She's not special forces. She was a former um, army MP, because there are female army military police officers. And, you know, both of these both of these characters, the way they exist now, have, you know, have histories of um of frontline experience in the military of combative experience in the military the mp not so re- not so much her her storyline was more of a defensive role because she's you know stationed overseas at bases and bases in iraq and afghanistan they definitely got hit so it would be no surprise if she would to receive contact as a military police officer the reason why i changed it doesn't really have to do too much with the military background but i changed it because i don't know how to think as a woman right? It's, I, I want it to be as real as possible. And obviously, you know, I can't think of a, 
of a combat veteran special forces person either. But I can think like a man, I can think like a husband, and I can think like a father. That other stuff that I, that, um, I mentioned, I drew upon and I contacted some people who were former special forces, and I just wanted to really ask them more about um, their combative experience, whether they did see a lot of combat, whether they did see emotional tolls on themselves and on their um, compatriots. And uh, I just wanted to get a little bit of more insight on that. But the spiritual and the sort of stoic nature of the character I drew for myself. And I didn't, I, I, I at first I wanted to maybe have the screenplay stand out against others and write one with a strong female lead because I, 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 I wanted to attach a little bit of wokeness to it, but in a way where it wasn't woke. The only, the only aspect of wokeness would have been, oh, she's a woman. Like that, that's it. Um, and you, you see there are plenty of movies that have um, women who have experienced grief, loss, and traumatic experiences, violent traumatic experiences. But I don't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really know how to write her well, if that makes any sense. Like I wrote her like I would speak. And if it's one thing in movies that I hate, it's dialogue that you know is just contrived. It's not authentic. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to put that in my screenplay. Now, obviously there are women in my screenplay. There is the wife of the main character. There is the detective. So basically in, in the original draft and the original idea it was the the main character was a female and the detective was a male i switched those so now it's male main character and female detective and i made her older uh and i made her a little bit more edgy i guess i gave her a little bit of a little bit more masculinity um because she remains unmarried after her husband is killed 20 years prior so I felt like I was able to give her a little bit of edge and a little bit more authenticity. The wife, I drew on a lot of aspects from my wife. Um, the people around us, same thing. And I think it was a good exercise because I would experience things throughout the past three years where I would say, ooh, okay, that's good inspiration for this. Let me go back in here and let me let me write this. And the ending, I had a couple different endings. And the ending that I eventually ended up choosing, um, I'm happy with. I, I played around with that, hey, what if it's all a dream ending? And I think that's just a cheap trick to play on an audience, especially when they're so invested into a story like this. Because when you watch this film, or if you read the screenplay, you get very emotionally attached to the main character. You know, you're rooting for this guy. And then to do the all a dream thing is kind of, uh, you know, I don't know. I did, I did play with an ending. Does he kill himself at the end? The one of the, one of the things was everything that happens in the uh, in the film is just a flash forward into what his life could be. He sees it, and in the end, he really doesn't care, and he kills himself anyway. That was a bummer. Everyone around me agreed it was a bummer and said, please don't go down this route. I like this guy too much. I don't want to see him kill himself. Um, am I kind of giving away? the ending of my own movie. Yeah, I guess, but um that that's another thing. It it is a good it is a good twist, but that kind of I don't know if that brings a little bit more fantasy of a genre into it. You know what I mean? Like it I wanted this movie to be edgy. I wanted this movie to be as real as possible, as raw as possible. And one of my main ideas for this movie is to be as quiet as possible. I did write 
a lot of dialogue. It's 101 pages, which, you know, roughly if you do a minute a page, it's, you know, an hour and 40 minutes. But um, I want this movie to be really quiet. And I've always wondered how I would sit down with, you know, let's say I get my dream actor and director. It's tough because if I explain to him everything I want this movie to be, I'm sure his response would be, why don't you direct it? And I, I spoke to a buddy of mine who's a writer-director, and he's done some really amazing shorts. He wrote a, he wrote and directed a feature in indie years ago, um, but his shorts are so good recently, and I actually uh, co-wrote one of the shorts with him. Actually, if you go on Nowness, uh, I'll include a link in the, the Spotify. I don't know if it'll show up, but um, I'll tell you what to search, and you can listen to it now. If you go on to nowness.com, and search a short Julie last name. My buddy Alex uh, wrote and uh, stars in it, and I did a short with him, the last short before Julie last name. Is it the last one before Julie last name? It might be. It's called First Date. Uh, I co-wrote that one. And um, he was he was saying, you know, why don't you direct it? This guy might not want to direct himself, the actor who I get. Like, he might not want to do that. And I just said, well, you know, Bradley Cooper, a lot of people are going to look at Bradley Cooper now, the writer-director who did Maestro, and maybe he wants to direct himself because the actor who I reached out to directed, wrote and directed his first feature not too long ago. Um, and I'll tell, I'll tell you who it is. It's Logan Marshall Green. He, um, he directed this brilliant indie called Adopt a Highway starring Ethan Hawke. It's a short movie. It might be an hour and 20 minutes. It might be an hour and 30 minutes. If you can, I think it's $2.99 on Amazon, $3.99 on Amazon. Do yourself a favor and watch it. Um, Logan tells a story of how he, he wanted to write his first feature and his agents and people around him were kind of trying to get him to write something sexy, write something edgy, you know, write something violent. And he didn't want any of that. Logan, you know, is a father as well of some young children. So he went the opposite route. So Adopt a Highway is about a guy who spent 20 years in prison in California, I think on like his third strike for drug charges or whatever, but a nonviolent criminal played by Ethan Hawke. He gets out of the system in like 2012 or something like that. It takes place a couple of years ago in the past. Um, not in the past, but in 2012. It came out in 2018 or 2019. Um, but this guy who comes out, he's now you know almost a 40-year-old guy saw 20 years of his life go by in prison and he's working at a burger joint, you know, one of the jobs that he could, that he could get. And, uh, he finds a baby in a dumpster, takes the baby home, tries to take care of it, brings it to, um, a hospital or a doctor's office or something. And, you know, the people tell me, you know, thank you for bringing this in when, and he basically says, I found her yesterday, but he has her for a couple of days. Um, and he wants to adopt her, but, you know, the, the police are saying, you know, you're a felon, you're out on parole, you can't just adopt some kid. And also, did you hold on to this kid for longer than you're telling us you did? It's a really, it's a really, really great film. And when I saw that, I said to myself, I think Logan, who not only has the look of a former special ops dude, and um, if you need to know who Logan is, he was in this movie called Upgrade recently. That was a really fun um, sci-fi action movie. And then he was, he was the young doctor in prometheus he was he was the the you know that couple of doctors who uh, uh find the discovery of the drawings in the caves you know he's the he's the male doctor in the couple and um he kind of he looks like tom hardy people confuse him a lot for tom hardy but uh yeah it's very interesting i think he's perfect for it and i really hope that he does it and i hope that you know even though i'm putting it out there for you uh you know 
I'd be very bummed if he passed on it, obviously, but I'd be more than ecstatic if he if he wanted to do it or at least just wanted to talk about it. Um, but I think you should go watch Adopt a Highway. There, there are a lot of movies that I pulled from for this. Ghost Story, Manchester by the Sea, a little bit of Prisoners, uh, a little bit of Adopt a Highway. But I, I saw Adopt a Highway mid last year. So whatever I drew from it was fairly recent. And I don't know if it added too much to the screenplay. But, you know, what, uh, what would you do? What would you do if you lost your wife and daughter? You know, and then you saved a bunch of people, a bunch of strangers from a mass shooting. Would you, especially if you felt responsible for their death, how would you feel? That would be a lot of unwanted adoration. A lot of people would say, you know, I love you. A lot of people would say, thank you. A lot of people would call you a hero. But, you know, do you deserve it? It's the same thing that a lot of soldiers go through. I mean, you hear it all the time in, you know, World War II, Vietnam War movies, Iraq War movies, you know, where someone who survives a conflict or who survives a battle, they call these people heroes, and they always say, no, the, the real heroes are the people who never came back. And that's where I drew upon this guy's guilt because this guy doesn't feel like a hero. He's just a normal guy. You know, while he was in the military, he was doing his job. And even outside of it, you know, he was just doing what a man does and is a protector of other people, of their innocence. So he doesn't feel that he's doing anything special. And when he is regarded as someone who who did do something special, he, he turns away from me, he doesn't want it. And, um, you know, does he spiral? Is he able to work through it? Is he able to live through it? That's the, uh, that's the whole point of the screenplay. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's cringe to like read you guys a little bit from it. I'm sharing a lot. And, you know, this is kind of like the most, you know, sheltered I've ever been about something. Normally I'm able to talk about whatever I want, but I don't know, you know, how I feel about sharing something like this is my baby. You know, I don't necessarily know if I want to share something from it. Uh, let me see. Is there anything that I can read from it? Uh, let's see. Okay. Okay. Here's this. I'll read you a little bit. I'll read you a little bit. I'll read you like a page and a half. And this is just picking up in the middle. All right. So get ready. Close your eyes. Okay. Try to envision this in your head. Now think of Logan Marshall Green. Pause it. Right. Pause it. And so you can look him up and see what he looks like. And then also look up who uh, a fine frenzy is. Uh, oh man, what's her name? I always forget her name. But she was in those Harry Potter spinoff movies. Um, what's her name? A fine frenzy. Yeah, her name is Allison Sudol. Pause it. Look her up, Allison Sudol, and that's who that's who's gonna play his wife. That's who I would want to play his wife. Um, so l- look at this. Okay, so let's let's read this. Uh, okay, here we go. We're just picking up. I'll read you all the directions. I'll read you all the um, all the actions and stuff like that. We continue to watch them dance, and we slowly fade back to the diner. Interior, early evening, diner booth, the present. The song nears the end as it starts to fade out. I'm not going to give you the name of this character. Character sips his water, then takes another bite of his biscuit. He looks up, and his wife and daughter are sitting across from him, smiling. He smiles right back. He takes another sip of water, and they're gone. Fade to, 
Interior, early morning, character's home, bedroom, the past. Character opens his eyes. He lays in bed. Birds are having their morning conferences and the light is slowly starting to fill the house. He sits up. The look on his face is one of trying to figure out if he's in a dream. He is not. He notices his wife isn't next to him and that the house is too quiet. Interior, early morning. Character's home, kitchen. Character walks out to an empty kitchen. Character says, Babe? Babe? No response. He walks around the rest of the house and doesn't find anyone. He looks through the living room window and notices wife's car isn't in the driveway. He notices a note left by the coffee maker on the kitchen counter. It reads, Took her to the park. You had a rough night. Relax a bit, my love. Be back soon. Smiley face. Character smiles to himself as he wipes the sleep from his eyes. He thinks to himself about how lucky it is to have the wife that he has. He figures he can maybe do something for her. He pours himself some coffee and then gets to work. Montage various. That just means that a montage is about to happen. Interior house morning. Character loads the washing machine, pours some softener, and sets the settings. Interior house morning. He's in the living room, picking up toys, putting them away, straightening out furniture, and dusting. Interior house morning. He's back in the kitchen to check his phone. No new messages. He texts wife to see how they're doing. Interior house morning. He's in the bedroom, making the bed and wiping down the windows, vacuuming the rugs. Interior house afternoon. Character paces the kitchen. Now, phone in hand. He's beginning to get worried. He calls wife. It rings. It rings. And then voicemail. Character off screen. Uh, hey, babe, I guess, I don't, I don't know, maybe your phone died. Uh, that can't be right. It keeps ringing. Anyway, I can't remember if you said you wanted to see Savannah or not. Um, yeah, give me a call when you get this. He calls Savannah. Character says, she hasn't been by? Oh, nothing? No, nothing, nothing. It's just, you know, she said she was taking the baby to the park, but that was early this morning, and I haven't heard back. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine, but she always calls or texts, and I haven't heard from her. Okay. Thanks. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm sure it's fine. Interior afternoon. Character's home and kitchen. He can't wait any longer, so he grabs his keys. He's going to go look for them. He hears tires on the gravel driveway. A huge relief comes over him. He usually isn't one to worry, but when wife had him going there. He breathes out that sigh of relief until he hears the sound of two doors closing simultaneously and is instantly sunken. He drops to one of the stools in front of the kitchen island and knows what's about to happen. His gut was right. He didn't want to give in to it or believe it, but his worrying is now justified. He hears a couple of sets of footsteps walk down the gravel, a knock on the door. Smash cut to interior, afternoon, character's home, slash mudroom, the present. And that's a little bit of the scene where he is about to be told that his wife and daughter were indeed in an accident and they're going to take him to the hospital. That's weird kind of reading my reading my thing out loud. There's really no context to where it starts um, there. I don't want to necessarily give that away. But it's, it's, it's interesting, and I messed some stuff up there that I noticed while reading it uh, that I might have to change real quick. Um, yeah. Yeah. I actually, when I wrote this, I didn't have names for characters. I just had hero, wife, daughter, detective. And then I think on an early, and this wasn't an evaluation. 
or was it? I think it was an evaluation. I can't remember if it was an evaluation on the blacklist or if it was um, just a friend's evaluation. But he said, you got to give these people names. I said, yeah, I'm not really too invested in their names right now. And a lot of it will be projected from my own, you know, personal life. So I'm not good at coming up with names. He said, just do it. Just put names. They're obviously not concrete. So I put names there. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. The Catholicism in it is interesting because um, at first with the draft, with the, with the woman playing the lead, uh, it wasn't necessarily faith based or there was no faith foundation to it. It was just, you know, sorry about grief, but with him and obviously it wouldn't be because I started writing this in 2021 and it wasn't until late 2021 or even the next year that I started to get back into Catholicism and, and came back heavy into the church and zealously into the church. So during the progression of the screenplay, I brought faith back into it. So there is there there are some Catholic references to it. There are some Catholic references on anger and on grief and on um, loss. And the priest has a, a minor, maybe you can call it a supporting role. I don't know if it's necessarily supporting, but he expounds on that. There is a scene in a confessional that is powerful. And um, yeah, the, the the last, not the last line, but a very important line of, of the film that our character utters, our main character utters, is a Latin prayer. Um, and I don't know. I think it could be a good film. I think it could be a good movie. You know, I think you guys would like it. And uh, I hope that I could put it out soon. So thank you for listening to this episode of this podcast where I tell you what my movie's actually about. And uh, feel free to DM me, email me, and let me know if you think it's a winner or if you think it's a loser. I don't mind. I obviously won't take that criticism personally. Goodbye.